What's the name of this series? There it is. We are going through the book of Acts, and we are studying the Spirit-filled church, and we, are, we have two primary objectives. We want to learn what that meant so that we can live what it means. Never going to get tired of repeating all that stuff. Now, next week, we won't, uh, we won't be in the book of Acts, but we will be in the Bible, and then you are going to, with the fruit of your lips, give thanks, and it will be powerful. Honestly, it's, it, it, uh, come ready. That's the thing. We've got to come, be, be ready, and don't think, oh, man, I don't know if I can, I don't have two minutes worth of things to say. Usually, people have about seven or eight, and we need to keep it to two, okay? Uh, but that's okay. Just try to think, how can I be really specific? And, and I'll just say this. Um, sometimes, folks, they want to give thanks, but they really want to give you the run-up. They want to they give you the on-ramp. You know, well, I got up. First of all, you take main, and then you take 30 seconds, and then you get on. No, just we just want to hear I-5. We just want to give thanks. All right, it'll be good. It'll be, it'll be an exciting day, and uh, you'll be glad that you came, and it'll, it'll, it'll set, help set the tone for the, the rest of the year as we land. All right, open your Bibles, please, to the book of Acts chapter 10. Yeah, good job. We began last week with chapter in chapter 10 looking at Cornelius the Roman centurion who had a vision a vision of an angel at his house and then he uh, the angel said send for Peter so he did and then Peter had the vision uh with the the heavenly picnic basket that came down that said arise Peter kill and eat and he said no not doing it but the Lord showed him the vision three times. And, he's, and the, the point of this vision was, do not call something unclean if the Lord has declared that it is clean. Yeah. And everybody's happy about that. Then uh, they came in, stayed, they, they camped out, and then they all, about a group of about ten of them, the, the Gentiles, Peter, and it looks like a handful of Jewish brethren went with him, and they made the trek across Hillendale to Cornelius' house, and they landed in the home of a Gentile. That's where we left off last week. They landed in the home of a Gentile, and because of that, nothing has ever been the same. Yeah. It's like you already know the story. <laughs> well, for the rest of us, let's read what happened. So we pick it up. They've made their trek across Hillendale, and now they're going to land at Cornelius's home. Here we go. Pick it up at verse 24. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. ready. All right. They arrived in Caesarea the following day. Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. Here's a little bonus for us again. You know the best way to get people to church? In... <laughs> Yeah, feed them. We do that. Yes, Jesus. Come hungry. Invite them. He called together. Close friends said, you got to come. You got to come. You should do that. As Peter entered his home, man, that's powerful. I, you got, I just feel that. As Peter entered his home, and if you know Peter, you know the situation, it would be like, ah, ah. Like he, he might have been more enthusiastic about getting out of that boat than taking that step across the threshold. I'll explain that later. 
uh, I mean, the, why he's hesitant. As Peter entered his home, Cornelius fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter pulled him up. Peter's always helping people out, isn't he? Uh, Peter pulled him up and said, stop it. But something like that. He pulled him up and said, stand up. And I, and I think in the Greek, it, sound, it's, it, it actually is this, stand up. <laughs> For I am a human being just like you. So they talked together and went inside where many others were assembled. Peter told them, you know, it's against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to associate with you. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. So I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. Now tell me why you sent for me. Cornelius replied, four days ago, I was praying in my house about this time, three o'clock in the afternoon. Ah, well, last week we didn't know that Cornelius was praying, but he was three o'clock. And he he wants us to know it was three o'clock in the afternoon. Interesting. And Peter shows up about the same time. I'm not exactly sure what Luke is trying to circle around, although it could be a lot of cool stuff about the the ninth hour and the time of the evening sacrifices is the same time in chapter three with the healing at the gate beautiful. But We don't need to press it too far, but that's interesting at least. Suddenly, he said, a man in dazzling clothes was standing in front of me. He told me, he told me, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. That's the same thing that Gabriel said to John the Baptist's daddy. The angel shows up and said, your prayers have been heard. Now, Lord, we don't need necessarily an angel to tell us, but I do pray that you keep confirming to your people that you hear prayers. Thank you, Lord. You need to know. Someone, you just need to know your prayers aren't just wandering, wafting around the ether sphere. They're not just wandering around. And I do pray. I pray whether it's a friend or a neighbor or a circumstance or an angel from God. Somehow, the Lord confirmed to your hearts today. Your prayers are being heard. Your prayers have been heard and your gifts to the poor have been noticed by God. Cool. Now, send messengers to Joppa. Summon a man named Simon Peter. He's staying at the home of Simon the Tanner who lives near the seashore. So I sent for you at once. And it was good of you to come. <laughs> so now we're here, waiting before God. You hear the message the Lord has given you. John the Baptist in, uh, I don't know what city you sent me to, crazy, across the way, Rwanda. You go to this church, you go to this back room, and that's what the guy said. That was the verse he quoted. Well, he said, we've all assembled here, and now we're here to hear the message the Lord has given you. I thought to myself at that time, great, no pressure. Then Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. Now, this isn't here exegetically, but, but, but it makes for good preaching. Uh, I see very clearly that God shows no favor. If he shows no favoritism, then everybody gets to be his favorite. Yeah. Yeah. 
In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. This is the message of good news for the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after John began preaching his message of baptism. And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we apostles are witnesses of all he did throughout Judea and Jerusalem. They they put him to death by hanging him on the cross. But God raised him to life on the third day. Then God allowed him to appear not to the general public, but to us whom God had chosen in advance to be his witnesses. We were those who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach everywhere. He ordered us to preach everywhere. Someone say that out loud. It was not an invitation or a suggestion. Somebody say us. us. Good, now you know. You're ordered to preach everywhere and to testify what? That Jesus is the one appointed by God to be the judge of all. The living and the dead. He is the one all the prophets testified about saying that everyone, somebody say everyone. Everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. Even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who were with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too. For they heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. Then Peter asked, can anyone object to their being baptized now that they have received the Holy Spirit just as we did? So we gave orders for them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And afterward, Cornelius asked him to stay with them for several days. That last sentence is one that you might go, oh, that's nice, and just kind of move on a little bit. But that last sentence matters. It's the bookend. The story begins with Peter saying, no way, no how, not going Right in the, and in the middle of the story, he says, I'm not supposed to even, I'm not supposed to even be here. <laughs> and the story ends with him staying Amen. for several days in his home, having fellowship, sharing meals. Something happened between them. And that something is what we want to emphasize this morning. And that is this. The spirit-filled church is for everyone. Spiritual church is for everyone. What do we mean by that? Well, there are three things we see in the text. Number one, everyone may hear the gospel. We probably could say something like everyone should, and we mean everyone should. Everyone should have the opportunity. But what we mean is everyone may hear the gospel. No one can be excluded from hearing this message. This is the first thing that we see. Everyone, and not just the gospel, but someone say the whole gospel. gospel. This is going to make us very happy in a minute. But everyone should hear the whole gospel. Say it again, the whole gospel. gospel. If you grew up, Assemblies of God, and some of our signs, we used to have our signs in front of our church, and they weren't even the least bit condescending or pretentious. (laughs) 
But in front of our church, it would say assembly of God. And then in small print, the AG meant all the gospel. (laughs) Meaning everybody else was only giving you a little bit of it. (laughs) As much as I'm glad we don't put that on our signs, I want to make sure we keep it in our message. Someone say the whole gospel. gospel. What do I mean by that? Well, so Cornelius is waiting and calls for the, everybody, his close relatives, and Peter enters his home. Cornelius, first of all, this is amazing. He falls at his feet, and then Peter pulls him off the floor, says, I'm a man just like you. Why does Cornelius fall on his face? Well, it's a part of uh, ancient Near East, Near Eastern hospitality and interaction when someone considers themselves a lesser and someone else a greater. We'll talk about that in just a minute more, but irrespective of whether whether he was just being super respectful or whether he was actually worshiping Peter, Peter wants none of it. Ooh, isn't that a relief? Come on, Peter wants none of it. Peter is not going to have any of this celebrity minister stuff. Hello, Instagram. Okay, Peter (laughs) wants none. There are no celebrity ministers. He says, stop it. I'm just like you. We're both people. We'll put our britches on or our togas or whatever. I don't know. (laughs) Then he says, you know, it's against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home or to associate. That was not Torah. That was tradition. Now, to Peter, the oral tradition was a big deal. They believed it was authoritative and very powerful, but it wasn't, we don't, it's, Moses didn't scribble that down. It was tradition that they not enter their homes or have fellowship with them, and it had to do with idolatry. If Gentiles were idolaters, then being in their midst could, might, they might participate knowingly or unknowingly with idolatry. It also had to do with uncleanness. Gentiles were unclean. They, had, they did unclean things. They had unclean things in their house. Uh, oh, boy. Do I, um, lots of things. And so the idea was that if they were to go in there, they might get affected by what was unclean. And I'm not trying to paint this pedantically or dismissively. Um, one thing that is pertinent to me uh, is uh, in studying in some of the deeper, longer studies that we've done is that um, it's, and it makes sense, but part, one of, one of the things, not the thing, I don't want to overstate it, but one of the things is this, they knew, deep breath, they knew that Gentiles practiced abortion in their homes. So they would not go in. Now, yes, because of the abomination thereof, but also because of the uncleanness of dead bodies. Yeah. Wouldn't go in there. So when Peter says, I'm not supposed to come in here, he wasn't just being condescending. Although the issues with idolatry and uncleanness did evolve into general sanctified snobbery. Aren't you glad that we don't have to deal with that anymore? Aren't you glad that all these years later we don't deal with sanctified snobbery? Hallelujah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but God has shown me that I should no longer think of 
anyone as impure or unclean. I see very clearly God shows no favoritism in every nation. He accepts those who fear him and, and, and who do what is right. So Peter does a couple of things here that are important for us to see. First of all, he, he precludes two extremes with people. He corrects any idea of revering any person as divine, but he also corrects any idea of rejecting any person as unclean. We're not going to demonize you and we're not going to make you divine. He levels it. God has vetoed all prejudice and favoritism. God has vetoed prejudice. God has vetoed prejudice. And people of the book, people of the spirit, Pentecostals, we should really be leading the way. No one should have to be reminding Pentecostals that God vetoed. This is God's idea. This is God's idea. It's God's message. We are image bearers. And even broken image bearers still bear the image. They might be broken, but they, can be, they deserve to be restored. Why are you pointing at the worship leader? Because he's the one who said that. <laughs> Why is he mad at that guy? He must have done something wrong. Peter also corrects two other extremes. He shows that God shows no favoritism. He literally lifts the head. What Cornelius did is indicative of, of what they practiced in the ancient Near East. Sorry, camera. What they practiced in the ancient Near East is when, you, when you, someone came to you that you perceived as greater than you, you either would fall to the ground or lower your head and wait. And if, if you were favored then the person would lift your head. But only if you had favor. What Peter says is that God lifts all faces. He lifts all of the faces. But he, but he also said he lifts the faces of those who come. So while he is eliminating favoritism, he's also making sure that we understand that he is not endorsing religious pluralism. He doesn't say, God accepts everybody no matter what. (laughs) Those who fear him and those who do what is right. This is what Hebrews says, it is impossible to please God without faith. Not absolute correct doctrine. He's He's not giving people exams before they come. He's looking to see if they'll come to him in faith. Verse 36, this is the message of good news for the people of Israel that there is, you ready? Peace with God through Jesus Christ who is Lord of all. This is the message. There is peace through God. What is peace? We talked about it a couple of weeks. Peace, peace means being put back together in harmony, not, not being disjointed, not being disconnected, no more friction between, but being re- reunited. We are being, we have peace Not everything needs to come out, Dav. Um, uh, Trust me, I've held a lot in already. But uh, uh, peace with God. There's good news. There's peace with God. Don't have to be angry. He's not angry at you. You don't have to be angry at him. You don't have to hide from him. He's not hiding from you. He's been looking for you since the garden calling your name, but now you don't have to hide behind a bush in your nakedness. There is peace with God through Jesus Christ. 
And he is Lord of all. Lord of all. He's Jew, Gentile, red and yellow, black and white. Everybody. He's Lord of all. Because he is Lord of all, all humanity now may have peace with God through Jesus Christ. This is the message of the good news. And this message is for everyone. Might be a good time to say Merry Christmas. Even if you're mad like Tiffany is at me. <laughs> She's waiting till Thanksgiving, bless God. But I'm saying, <laughs> see, I got a new first clap out of Tiff today. Um, um, <laughs> but it was the angels that said, that Luke wrote down the first time, I give you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. But somebody say the whole, gospel. the whole gospel. So now he's going to delineate what's who is this Jesus and what's the deal. He continues. He gives the what we have called the apostolic bullet points, the apostolic gospel, the fundamentals of the gospel. Here is what he says, verse 38. And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. He is the anointed one. Jesus is the anointed one. That's God. That's fundamental to the gospel. Somebody say the whole gospel. gospel. Listen to how Peter summarizes. I got to stay on track. We're already out of time. Uh, uh, You know how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Peter gives a one-sentence summary of the life and ministry of Jesus. If we were going to try to summarize the life and ministry of Jesus, what might we include in one sentence? And not to despair anything, not to dismiss anything, but he doesn't give one message about parable. And I love parables, but you know, I get a little fed up with people saying, oh, he's the great teacher. Yeah, he was a great teacher, but God anointed Jesus Christ with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went about benefacting. The word is benefacting. He went about distributing good, doing and distributing, giving away the goodness of God, leaving people better than he found them, finding a mess and making it better, finding the broken and leaving them healed, finding the bound and setting them free. He went about doing good. He didn't leave the world the way he found it, and neither should you. Went about, didn't go about complaining and pointing fingers, shika laka baka. He didn't do that. He went about doing good and picking a fight with the devil. Picking a fight, healing all who are oppressed by the devil. Not, that's not yours, Jesus said. That's not yours. He's not yours. She's not yours. All who are under his tyranny, setting them free, healing them. You know what that is? That's healing, and let's just say exorcism. Yeah, of all the things he chose to emphasize, it was healing. Jesus Christ is an exorcist. Because people don't belong to the devil. James, are you sitting there quiet at me? Are you going to shout me down sometime today? Jesus Christ sets people free. I know James and Bud, buddy, he believes this. That's why I said that. Thank you, Jesus. 
This is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus does. And this is fundamental to the gospel. And everybody who is the disciple of Jesus, this is what we are and what we do. Because we got the same Holy Ghost. We got the same Holy Ghost. We got the same opportunity to go and do good. And we got the same power to get it done. He says, we are... We apostles are witnesses of all he did. They put him to death by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him to life on the third day. Jesus Christ is anointed. He's a healer. He's a deliverer. He was crucified, but God raised him from the dead. Then God allowed him to appear. Not to everybody, but to us who had been chosen. Be his witnesses. We, were, we, we ate and we drank with him after he rose from the dead. Why does Peter stop and say, and by the way, we ate. I mean, how many are glad he said that? <laughs> Glory. But what he, what he meant is Jesus was not an ethereal thing. It wasn't a ghost. It wasn't a figure of, their, figure of their imagination, a figment. We ate and drank. He appeared. He lived with us in real time. He is the antithesis. He's the opposite of your Greek mythology. And he ordered us to preach everywhere and to testify that Jesus is the one appointed by God to ride a unicorn <laughs> across a rainbow bridge and pass out daisies to all who come. <laughs> well, if we read Facebook, that's what Jesus does. Oh, he just. Here's how he says it. Well, he's the one appointed by God to judge all humanity. Good news. You're going to be judged. The whole gospel. You're going to be, you, what? What if I don't want to be? You're going to be judged. The living and the dead. Yes, Austin, a new shirt. Good news. You're going to be judged. I just got... <laughs> Got two thumbs up from the back. He's very excited. I knew what was coming. <laughs> Good news. You're going to be judged. The judge of all, the living and the dead. His resurrection means that there is a judgment to come for everyone. But verse 43, he is the one all the prophets testify about, saying, everyone who believes in him will have, will have, their sins forgiven in his name. That means if I believe in his name, I put my trust in his name, I'm going to stand before judgment and the Lord of the cosmos, the righteous one, will look at me and say, what sin? Wow. That's good news. There is forgiveness of sin. For those who believe in his name. Did you feel that? Did you feel that as we said it? Yes. That's what happened with Cornelius and the household. They hear this bolsterous fisherman say, He's going to be the judge. We're all going to be judged. And they begin to tremble, and rightly they should. 
And then he says, but there is forgiveness. The law and the prophets all say it there that all of our hope is in the name of Jesus. He is the one in his name. There is forgiveness of sin. And when they hear, they breathe in the air of mercy. They lift their faces to God, beginning to give, wanting to give thanks for forgiveness of sin. But when they breathe in mercy, they exhale the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit falls on him. God, who had been waiting to tabernacle amongst his people for millennia after millennia. Now, finally, the Gentiles, who have been obfuscated and hidden in their darkness and sin and, and faulty, live, faulty thinking, now they lift up their eyes, and the veil is removed, and they see the grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ, and heaven can't wait another moment. And as they heard the word... As they heard the word, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard it. Everyone may hear the whole gospel and everyone may receive the Holy Spirit. As soon as the fundamental gospel was declared, the Holy Spirit fell on. He was poured out. Somebody say poured out. Say it again, pour it out. No, 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 no sprinkle, no splash. There is never a clue. You can't find it in Acts. There, the Holy Spirit never comes miserly. He never comes meagerly. God doesn't hold back his spirit. He pours him out. The gift of the Holy Spirit came upon the Gentiles, and this is still fundamental to the whole gospel. The gift of the Spirit is fundamental to the gospel. The gift of the Spirit is fundamental to the gospel. Still working on that. The gift of the Spirit is fundamental to the gospel. The eyes probably have it, so we can continue. Hey, Dad, what do you mean? Well, listen to the text. Listen to the text. Peter replied, Acts 2.38, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Paul, to the church at Ephesus, after now and now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed, when you gave him your faith, he identified you as his own. You hear the, the same language as Acts 10? He identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. Titus chapter 3, listen to verses 4 through 6. When God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us new birth and new life. How? Through the Holy Spirit. Verse 6, here it is again. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And Luke tells us that there could be no doubt what happened. The Jewish believers did that. 
they said they knew that they had received the Spirit because the Spirit gave assurance through expression. They heard them speaking in tongues and glorifying God. In Throughout the book of Acts, tongues are an initial sign of this experience. Not only are they a sign, they're a beautiful and they're a beneficial and powerful gift. But always, here's a couple of really important points. Always in the book of Acts, tongues are Godward speech. People are talking to God in praise and in prayer. And always in the book of Acts, whenever people are speaking in tongues, everybody's doing it together. Now, that's a little bit challenging if you grew up classical Pentecostal. Remember the rules, only three, one at a time. Nobody remember. Oh, no. Not, in Acts, it's a party. The Spirit-filled church worships in the Spirit together. They all, they heard them speaking in the spiritual language and praising God. Tongues are Godward speech in praise and in prayer. And like the gift of the Spirit, they are for everyone. All of us together. Thirdly, everyone should be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then Peter said, can anyone object to their being baptized? And he kind of said it like this. Can anyone object? Mm-hmm. Like, no. Uh, uh, now that they have received the Holy Spirit. In other words, if God has affirmed them as his own, can anyone object to them and us acknowledging that they're disciples of Jesus together? So he gave orders for them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Would you say Orders. I know Americans, we get a little fed up with that unless we're giving them. <laughs> but <laughs> orders, not an invitation, not a suggestion, not an opportunity. <laughs> he gave orders to be baptized. Baptism is obedience. Amen. There is no paradigm in the New Testament for a not baptized disciple. Do not quote the thief on the cross. You are not the thief on the cross. It is the name of Jesus that saves us, but it is our water baptism that identifies our faith in him. To him, to each other, to the world. Baptism doesn't save us, but it is necessary, and it is for everyone. And it's for you, December Fourth and fifth. Yeah. The next time we're going to run the water over there, it's for you. The spirit-filled church is for everyone. Everyone should hear the whole gospel. Everyone should receive the Holy Spirit. Everyone should be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Recognizing that our our time together in this service has come to an end, we want to still say, Lord, how can we respond? What's how should we respond to this? 
Well, we want to make sure that we are responding, that we believe and that we are responding to the whole gospel. I want to tell you that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That he is, that, that his anointing is just as real today as it was then. That Jesus is a healer and a deliverer. And he's still in the business of binding up the brokenhearted, of distributing the goodness of heaven, and leaving our lives better than he found them. We've already taken time for prayer today, but one more time, could I ask us to stand together as we close, if you're willing and able to? If you're a candidate for the ministry of Jesus, let me say this very clearly. If you need healing in your body, would you lift up a hand or two and just begin to thank Jesus? Just thank him. If you've come here today with something that you can't explain, a heaviness, you feel stuck, you feel oppressed, almost like you could, you could just be honest and say, I just feel a, like a spiritual something is against me. I want to tell you that Jesus is a deliverer, that Jesus Christ heals you, Jesus Christ sets you free. So if you're a candidate for the ministry of Jesus, right where you are, lift up a hand or two and just begin to welcome. before the Lord Jesus and give an account of your life. Do not stand before him without placing your trust in him to forgive you of your sin. If you need to be forgiven of your sin, you need Jesus to save you. There isn't anything, there isn't a formula. But right now where you are, open your heart, open your mouth and just ask him, Lord Jesus, save me from my sin. Forgive me of my sin. Save me today, Lord. Save me. And then as you do, all of us together, ask that he would pour out his spirit upon you. Lord, I give you my faith. Take away my sin and give me your spirit today. And all of us, come on, everybody, welcome the outpouring of the Holy Spirit together.
Peter didn't know where he was going. But when he got there, he knew what he had to do. He had to give away what he was carrying. He carried the message of the whole gospel. And as a servant, he carried the promise of the Holy Spirit. We're going to leave this place today. You might meet a Cornelius, his household, maybe a restaurant, a hospital, a home, a place of work. But as you leave this place, you go as the Spirit-filled church, carrying the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ without favoritism, without fear, with great generosity, because where you go, come on, where you go, the Lord bless you and keep you and cause His face to shine upon you. Be kind to somebody. Find your children. If you would like prayer, if you want to open the front now for prayer, please. If you just want to pray here in the front if you'd like to pray.